Go ahead and grab a seat. Grab a seat. We're going to jump right into this message. We're really excited about this today. Or I'm really excited. I hope you're as excited when we get fit, as done as I am. But uh, I want to share a story with you. I don't know if you've ever done this before. When you drive in to your house, um, take your keys into your house, do you kind of have a favorite place that you like to put them? I mean, we have a place in our kitchen. It's on the counter. And I will always put my truck keys there. But this week... I don't know what we were doing, but I had a, to make a trip. I went around the corner, and there are no keys there. So, you know, immediately I'm going, on oh, now, you know, where are the keys? So I go to the usual places, right? It's going to be uh, my pickup truck. Maybe I left them in there because I'll do that. I'm getting old, and I'm forgetful. I may have left them in there, not in there. So I make a quick trip into the office because, you know, that's another place I can leave them. Nothing there. And then I look at my coat pocket that's hanging there on the chair, they're not there. So I start to come up with a theory, right? And my wife's there, her name's Julie, and, and our kids are grown and all, so it's just us and our Australian shepherd, Bear. And Bear does not have a thumb. And I know he doesn't take my keys, usually. He could pick them up, but he doesn't. But, so I say in the nicest voice, the sweetest, the kindest voice I have, I said, honey, I said, did, did you take my keys? And she goes, no, nah, I haven't seen your keys. And I said, well, I put them right here, right where they normally are. You sure you didn't, you sure they're not in your purse? Because if they're in there, <laughs> we may not find them, right? She goes, she looks at me, and does this ever happen to you guys? You've been married for a while. She looks at me, and she slows down her voice, right? She goes, I did not touch your keys. And when she slows her voice and she emphasizes things, I'm right on the edge. So I gripped my teeth and I said, well, somebody moved my keys, right? And it wasn't Bear, our dog. And she goes, I have no idea. She says, have you looked in your coat pocket? And I went, yep, I sure have. I looked in my coat pocket. She said, did you look in the one hanging up in the hall, the heavier coat? (laughs) I'm like, oh, man. I walk over there. Sure enough, car keys. That story, it's funny. I'm sure a lot of you have done that, right? Where you make a theory, you make an assumption that somebody has your stuff and you can't find it. Today, as we talk about the origin of the cosmos, we're going to look at two parts of that story I just told you. One, one part is called data. We're going to have this up on the screen here. But data is defined, and this is in your notes, as factual information. Factual information. It's something that I can hold on to. So when I went and looked for those keys, they weren't there. And I looked in my truck, and I looked in my office. I looked in my one coat pocket. There were no keys, right? So the data said some, 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 they're gone. They're just gone. They're not there. So number two, when the data doesn't make sense, we have to come up with a theory, right? We create a theory if we don't understand what we're looking at. So a theory is defined as a, I got to get this right, hypothesis, this is in your notes if you're writing down, assumed, there's that word, assume, you guys probably know the breakdown of that, if I say that here I'll get in trouble, (laughs) but we all know what it means, A (laughs) a hypothesis assumed for the sake of argument or experimentation, right, remember your science class, So we have two things at work here. We had data, no keys. My theory, which was an assumption that my wife moved them. 
which, by the way, led on to an argument about me blaming her, you know. But anyway, those are the two things that are at work here. You know, and sometimes our data and our theories, they line up and everything's just cool. But there's other times where we construct the best theory possible, as I did, to make the data make sense. The best theory in my mind was, no keys, my wife must have moved them. Okay? Now today, how does this tie into the origin of the cosmos? How does this tie in? We're going to look at that. Because we're going to take a look at data from Genesis chapter 1. Data from Genesis chapter 1. We're going to explore a theory. And this is a new theory you may not have heard about how the data harmonizes. The data in Genesis chapter 1 when God said, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We're going to look at that data and we're going to, see, we're going to look at a theory of how that harmonizes with the things that we see around us. Okay? So there's going to be those two things. But let's start with data. The reason I call the Bible data, some people would dispute that, but we believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. No errors, okay? Some people would debate that with us, but for the sake of this argument, we are going to claim that the Bible's true. Because we have to. If we claim part of it's true, we have to claim all of it's true. I used to believe that, well, I believe the whole Bible except for that creation piece there because it just doesn't line up with the data that I've been taught in school. Anybody ever kind of deal with that? You struggle with that. No, the Bible is true, and we're going to help you with that today. So let's take a look at data from Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The data is, in the beginning, God created, right? I want you to say that with me. Ready? In the beginning, God created. That's data. That's data. Now, there's some theories around the whole creation thing we're going to talk about in a little bit. But what did he create? The Bible says he created the heavens and he created the earth. This is where this word cosmos comes into play. Now, it's kind of a different word. You don't hear it much. But it's literally almost identical to the Greek word that was used, which is called cosmos, and it's spelled with a K. But it's the same thing. And here's the definition. I'm going to use the English cosmos because it's easier to say. The cosmos is an orderly, harmonious, systematic universe. Orderly, harmonious, systematic universe. It is the opposite of chaos. So in the cosmos, we have order and we have uniformity. We were just talking about this before the break, weren't we? about looking at the cell structure and the atomic structure and how everything lines up. We're going to show you a little bit more about that. But there's order in the cosmos. There's harmony. There's a beauty in it. The Bible is very clear, you guys, that God is a God of order. Amen? He's a God of order. He's not a God of disorder. In fact, Paul writes thousands of years after this, in 1 Corinthians 14.33, he writes this. He says, God is not a God of disorder. God is a God of order. But we're going to find something that's real startling here in this first couple of sentences, couple of verses in Genesis. Okay? Because in verse 1, we see that God created the heavens and the earth. And then we go on, and this was before day one of creation. All right? But then we're going to go on 
to look at verse 2. Because this cosmos, this order, this harmony, this systematic universe becomes chaos. I'm going to show that to you here. It's in verse 2. I'm going to start with a new living translation. For it says, The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. The earth was formless and empty. Now, the King James Version is uh, the very first version of the Bible that was printed. has a little bit different version of this. It says, The earth was without form, and it was void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now, why is there this, 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 this seeming dichotomy or this difference between these words? Well, you know, I brought my trusty easel pad. I feel like I'm back at uh, Snap-on Tools now, you know. Yeah, some things just don't correlate to the computers over here. You could probably, we could have TJ make it, nothing against you, TJ. I know you could make a great graphic that would probably jump off the screen at these guys. But for this, I'm going to use my pen, though. <laughs> See, the, the thing about the Hebrew language, I'm learning this, this is great, um, is that our English language is kind of shallow in terms of the meanings of some words compared to the Hebrew. It's, it's kind of crazy. So when you look at Genesis 1 and you look at the word was, and it's in both translations, right? It says the earth was formless, kind of past tense. The word was in Hebrew has a whole bunch of possible meanings, but it, the one that's used the most is this. And you can write this down. Had become. So when they translated the Hebrew word, they could have used had become, but they used was. Now, if you put had become, and it's okay to write in your Bibles, by the way. Does anybody do that? Got you. I think it took me like 30 years to figure out I could actually write in there, other than to my grandson from your grandmother. <laughs> I had that in there. But listen to this. The earth, this is a new, new Living Translation. The earth was formless and empty. Put in this. The earth had become formless and empty. Kind of changes things, doesn't it? So it was formed and then it became unformed. It was formless and empty. Now we have to look a little bit beyond because there's two more words here. There is formless... And this one gets real interesting because in the Hebrew, there's actually five words that work for formless, okay? One is desolation. Desolation. Two is waste. Three is wilderness. Four is confusion. And five is worthless. And these are just different definitions for this very same word. Okay? So the earth had become a desolation or a waste or a wilderness. You could almost combine those as a wasteland, right? It had become confusion. It had become worthless. The last word here is empty. And there's only two words in the Hebrew for empty. One of them, the, the translators of the King James Version got, which was void. Okay? That one. But this one, this one really is, is, is 
got me. And I'm going to try to get it here. And it is undistinguishable, if I can get it all on the page, smaller l and e, ruin. So empty turns into an undistinguishable ruin. So if you add all this up, the earth had become a desolate or desolation, a waste, a wilderness, a confusion, an undistinguishable ruin. Kind of changes the thought process a little bit, doesn't it? When you look at the real Hebrew, you go, okay, what happened? Bible scholars take all of that, because that's a lot to say, right? That'd be a long sentence. <laughs> they say that Genesis 1, 2, verse 2, the Bible went from cosmos to chaos. They look at all this as chaos, okay? Which is the opposite of order. It's disorder, all right? So in Genesis 1, 1, we have, and this is in your notes, in the beginning God created the cosmos, right? We know that, and, he, and it was good. And in Genesis 1, 2, the earth... The earth was chaos. Does that seem kind of unusual to you? How, in, in one verse, it went from cosmos to chaos. Why would God's creation, why would his cosmos devol- devolve in, in one verse, even before the first day of creation? Why would that happen? Well, there's a theory. You ready? There's a fascinating theory. That helps us. And again, I want to say this. I've got to disclose this. It is a theory that theologians propose that takes care of this dichotomy or this difference between 1-1 one, one and 1-2. One, you know, 1 Corinthians 14-33, God is not a God of what? Disorder. No. So we can't contradict the Bible. So we, there's a theory that's a possible solution that there was a gap between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. And guess what they call the theory? The gap theory. Thank you. Now, I didn't, anybody ever hear of this? I've got a few. My wife's like, oh, yeah, I know all about the gap theory. <laughs> I'm like, really? <laughs> I had not even heard about it. But the gap theory is a theory, theologians say, that helps to explain this cosmos to chaos. What happened between those two verses? Okay, what happened in the gap? Because in the beginning, God created the cosmos, but something happened. And the the theologians, they theorize, they they make a hypothetical argument that during that time, that that's when Satan was rebelled against God in heaven. And if you go back and look, I'll give you, it's not up on the screens or on your notes, but it's Revelation chapter 12. 7 through 9. It's at the end of the book, but God talks about how Satan wanted to be. He was Lucifer. He was the morning star. He was the highest of God's created angels. He wanted to be like God, right? He wanted, to, he wanted equal footing with God. God's, you know, so there was a battle in heaven. I'll paraphrase. There was a war in heaven. Michael and the angels fought against the dragon and his angels, the dragon or, the, or, or Satan. They were defeated and they were kicked out of heaven. And It says at the very end, they were thrown down to the earth. They were thrown down to the earth. The theory is is that when uh, Satan and his little mob came down to the earth, God judged them and the earth together. And that's what happened. We don't know that. The Bible doesn't state it, but it's a theory that theologians have been using to describe this gap. 
Now you think about that, that there's this gap in here that something happened, and that gap could have been thousands of years or millions of years or even maybe billions of years. We don't know. It's a theory, right? It's a theory. So I want you to take a look at this, though, because when we talked about data and theory, you know, there's a lot of data on the Earth that suggests the Earth is very old, right? So I want you to take a look at this video here, and then I'll come back. How can you imagine 4.5 billion years? And how does that compare to the amount of time that humans have been around? A geologist gave us the idea to use a football field as a metaphor, and that's exactly what we're going to do. At this end zone, we've got the present. And at this end zone is the moment our planet formed. Earth's entire history stretches the full 100 yards in between. Every inch is 1.3 million years. Let's start at the beginning and take a walk through Earth's entire history. For the first few hundred million years, the Earth was bombarded by rocks from outer space. But now it's starting to calm down. And way up here, 3.8 billion years ago, life begins. We're talking simple life. Single cells floating in a vast ocean. Now these cells are figuring out new ways to get energy. They're evolving to harness the power of the sun. Photosynthesis starts past the 20-yard line. The air here is mostly carbon dioxide and nitrogen, but right around here, little green cells start making oxygen. And up here, about 2.3 billion years ago, oxygen starts building up in the atmosphere. We're halfway down the field, and we just got the kind of atmosphere that humans can breathe. For the next billion and a half years, it's paradise for single cells of every variety. But as we move down the field, cells start working together. And by the time we reach the 18-yard line right here, there's lots of complex critters floating around. It's 800 million years before the present, and things are about to get really interesting. Here at the 13-yard line, we've got an ozone layer. And here, a sudden explosion of diversity. Fungi, sea anemones, mollusks. 530 million years ago, animals take their first steps on land. In the ocean, fish appear, land plants, insects, sharks, amphibians. It's been four billion years since we started, and here at the five-yard line, we're just starting to see the first mammals and dinosaurs. We see stegosaurus dinosaurs right here about 176 million years ago, but we don't see the T-Rex until about four and a half feet from the end zone, about 68 million years ago. Look, the T-Rex is closer to us in the present than it is to the stegosaurus way back there. Oh, and there's a catastrophe at the one-yard line. 66 million years ago, a meteor or volcanoes or climate change or all three killed 75% of all species. But life rallies. This yard is the yard of mammals. We've got armadillos, giant whales, wolves, and here a foot away, the great apes, our family. Hippos, mammoths, lions, Lucy, almost human but not quite, saber-toothed tigers, cattle. Then 200,000 years ago, this is where we find humans that look like us. 
That's just an eighth of an inch from the end zone, the width of this light bulb. This is all of human experience, but everything we call civilization, agriculture, cities, books, science, these don't appear until we're two hairs breadth from the end zone. The width of this filament. So I want to ask you a question. Did, there's data in that, and there's theory. They kind of interweave it, right? Did you, did you see where that, did you pick anything out that was data, like concrete facts that we know about? What's that? Anybody? No, nobody wants that. <laughs> yeah, well, the, there's a couple things. One, we know about the fossil record, right? I mean, I live in Bozeman. I go to, my, my grandkids go to the Museum of the Rockies every time they come up from Billings or over from Washington. I mean, you got, what's his name out front? Is it Dave? They've got a nickname for the Tyrannosaurus Rex, right? That, the fossil is a record that we, we dug up here. Now, we don't know when the dinosaurs existed, but it, it's, it's a reality. It's a fact they're here. And if you want to talk to me afterwards, there's a lot of theories. The gap theory is one theory, that, the, that all of that occurred in the gap. There's theory there, though, that they interspersed into it. Did you catch the theory that's not a fact, but they think it's a fact? Did you hear that? The apes? Yep. Part of our family? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they kind of work that way in there. And then they say at the end, Lucy, almost human. More theory, right? They don't have, that's not a fact, it's a theory. But it's interesting to look at that timeline. And for years, science and, and, and Christians have, have been at, at odds over this, right? We're going to have another quick video here in a minute that I'm gonna help, that's going to help to even further harmonize that for you. There's a lot of theories in there. But what we're saying is the gap theory is one possible explanation for an old earth. An old earth. But I want to go back to the equation. Cosmos to chaos. How many of you today, we're sitting here and we're debating these theories versus facts. How many of you have found yourself in a place of chaos from time to time? You have, right? <laughs> Maybe today. We go from that. We know that that happens. We go from a, a really good place to a really bad place quickly. We go from cosmos to chaos. But you know, God created each of us to be good. You guys know that? TJ, you know God created you to be good, right? He created you not only good, but he created you very good if you read the account. He created you and me, male and female, very good. But guess what happens? We've rebelled. It started in the Garden of Eden. We rebel against God. We sin. And when sin and rebellion and that comes into play, so does chaos, right? We make the wrong choices. We make those. So we go from cosmos to chaos. But I want to encourage you today. There's one more word that the Bible, God, the facts say that comes into the equation. And it's this. We go from cosmos to chaos to Christ. Cosmos to chaos to Christ. Because you've got to listen to God's plan all through the Bible. Anytime there's chaos, God steps in with a plan. Amen? Before day one of creation, remember? Because day one, God created light and separated the light from the darkness, right? Before day one, listen to this. Ephesians 1, chapter 4 says, Before he even made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ 
before he made the world, before Genesis 1-1, God loved us and chose us in Christ. Vince, before God made the world, he chose you in Christ. Is that exciting? 1 Peter 1.20, God chose Christ as your and my ransom long before the world began. When you think of the word ransom, you think about somebody that's being held in captivity and there's a ransom to be paid, right? And when we chose to rebel in the garden and we fell and sin entered the world and with sin came death and disease and heartbreak and all of the stuff, you guys, that we deal with, all of that we were, we, were, we were caught up in. But God loved us so much that he, that he ransomed us out of that through Christ. So that's the good news. Now I want to just mention a minute. If you're like me, you're probably, my wife has a nickname for me. She calls me overachiever. You know, she's just kind of combined the words. So you overachievers, maybe you've already Googled the gap theory on your smartphones. <laughs> Got a few heads nodding. And you're going to notice something. Number one, it's a theory. Number two, there's a lot of Christians, Christ followers, that don't believe the gap theory. And we're not here to tell you it's right or wrong. We're just explaining one theory. They're going to say, hey, the Bible says from Adam to today, it's 7,000 years, right? And if you add up the genealogies, it is. You've got to understand, the gap theory comes before Adam. It comes before day one of creation. So it is a theory, all right? Some of you may want to know, well, I wonder what Jeff thinks, or I wonder what Pastor Bob thinks, which, by the way, I don't know, but you can ask him next week. You know, is it an old earth or is it a young earth? I don't know, but I'm going to tell you this. I don't care anymore. I used to have to try to figure that out in my mind. Like, how can the Bible be true if we've got dinosaurs parked out front of the Museum of the Rockies, right? How can that justify? I don't care anymore because I know this. The Bible data says that in the beginning, God created, right? That's what we need to know. So when our friends that don't know the Lord says, well, how do you, how do you compare this? You say, you know what? There, there's, there's various theories to why the earth is either old or young. But I know this, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. I want you to see this next video. Um, Sarah is one of our elders. She lives in Bozeman. She got her PhD from Cornell as a physicist. She's a very smart lady, but she's got a wonderful heart. Let's go ahead and take a look at this. My name is Sarah Zocker, and I'm an elder here at Connect Church, and I also have obtained my PhD in physics, and I obtained it at Cornell University in 2009. Um, I grew up a in a Christian church, uh, my whole life I've been in a Christian church, and the church I grew up in was a very conservative one that it um, was un- distrustful of science when I was growing up, and I was I grew up with the impression that science was a threat to God, that it could um, dethrone Him almost in His creation, that um, it could prove that He did not create anything, and so science and what it could prove was something to be feared. That was a really hard position to be in um, as a child, not trusting science. But as I grew older, I learned more about other scientists. Newton and Kepler and Copernicus and Galileo, 
uh, Pasteur and Pascal, all of these were Christians who were studying science, not just because of curiosity, but also because they wanted to know more about God. And some of the things they would talk about is thinking God's thoughts after him. And that's what I discovered I wanted to do too. And that's why I went into physics, was to know more about God, because you get to know something about the creator by looking at his creation. And boy, do you. I mean, if you start looking around at the universe, um, the biggest and the smallest, you learn so much about how, who God is and the incredible order that you find everywhere that um, in thermodynamics, in this, the laws of thermodynamics, one of them says that without the input of energy, everything will descend into chaos and entropy. You need an input of energy to keep things orderly, to, to have things display order and to maintain order. And when you start looking scientifically at everything, you will find order everywhere. When you look at how far the earth is from the sun to guarantee life, when you look at the nature of water that at its coldest is not its most dense, these things scream order. And when I got into grad school, I was in a microscopy lab where we were using an electron microscope, which was one of the best in the world. And we could see atoms. We were looking at the atoms of um, tiny little crystals. And what we found is when you get closer and closer and closer to those crystals, you see incredible order. The atoms have arranged themselves to be separated exactly so into columns and rows and, and beautiful order of, of this crystal that you, as you rotate it, you can see kind of like if you drive by a cornfield and you look at the rows of the corn, you see those things shooting by of, of beautiful order. You see this order as you go by and we were seeing these in the crystals and these things were the smallest little bits of pieces of crystal order even there that um, God has put his mark on his creation and the mark is order where he you can see not chaos you see um, energy you see um, an engineer who has carefully designed his creation you see um, him putting in these this uh, signature of, of order and design because he made this creation for us. He made it to be good and he made it so that not just we can live, but we can enjoy it and we can study it and it can make our minds um, uh, just on fire to learn new things and to, and to find out more about him. Sarah's a pretty amazing woman. She, uh, you know, she loves the Lord, but she knows so much whether she looks clear out into space or she looks very close, she sees God's fingerprints. Did you hear her say that? God's signature is on creation. Here's a little bit more data for you I want to share with you. Um, you know, sometime in the future, uh, the world that we're in right now, the earth and the, and the universe that we can see, it's going to devolve into a chaos like we've never seen before. And it's going to be the final judgment of God. And we don't know when that is. But everything that we see now is going to change. And I want to share with you, if you go to the end of the book, because we started at Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God created, right? Genesis 1-1. I'm going to take you to Revelation chapter 21. It's the second to the last chapter. Revelation 20 explains about how the final judgment will come. Revelation 21, verse 1 says... 
And this is God, or this is John, as he sees this vision. He goes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. I heard a loud shout from the throne, verse 3, saying, Look, look, connect, look, God's home is now among his people. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Wouldn't that be great? There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne, God the Father, says, Look. And he says that to you. He says that to me. Look. I am making everything new. So do you know how the story of the cosmos ends? It's in the very next chapter. It's not in theory, gang. It's in data. It ends with Christ. It ends with Jesus Christ. Revelation 22, 12 and 13. This is Jesus talking now, saying, Look, look! I am coming soon. I'm coming soon. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus was there in the beginning. John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was there in the beginning. He's here today, and He'll be there in the end for us. Amen? That's what we can hold our hands on to. Look, I make all things new. He asks us right now, what's the call on us right now? To, to look, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, that he will make all things new. Let's go ahead and stand. Ryan's going to lead us in that, that, that second song, that I'm a child of God. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you, guys. I, you know, the rest of that, let's step over here. Um, right after... In Revelation 22, I shared where Jesus said, look, look, I am coming soon. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Right after that, he says, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. You see, gang, the Bible's very clear that because of sin and because of the fall and because of the rebellion that we're born under the curse of death. You know, and it's not something we like to talk about. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ Jesus. So I want you guys to bow your heads right now if you put your stuff aside. And I thank you for giving me the attention that you've given today. And the first thing, this, this song just spoke to me that I am a child of God and I saw a lot of people's hands that were raised that are, child, are children of God, that we have accepted that free gift of Jesus Christ. We've, we've accepted that. We've opened that up because you... It's a free gift, but you have to take hold of it and you have to open it 
And you have to say yes to Jesus. And if you haven't done that right now, your life is in chaos. You don't know where you're going. If you have not taken a hold of the free gift of Jesus Christ, I want to give you that opportunity. It's very simple. You just have to raise your hand. Make eye contact with me if you're ready to do that today. Is there anybody here right here in front? Anybody else? You know, the Bible, Jesus says, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. So don't be afraid to put up your hand if you haven't done that yet. Okay. Got Jim right here in front. Jim, I just want to, let's, uh, let's just pray. If you can reach out possibly and, and, and reach out to Jim here, I just want to pray with you, Jim. Can you pray with me, buddy? Just say, Lord Jesus. I give you my life. Forgive my sin. I am your child. Save me now. I believe you love me. I believe that you died for me on the cross. I believe that you shed your blood for my sins. Wash me in your blood. Make me new. Give me a new life. A new hope and a new future. And you did it all so I could live with you now and forever. I am yours today and forever. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Amen and amen. You know, the Bible says that the angels are, are celebrating in heaven right now for you, young man. And as God is my witness, he is here today, is he not? Yeah. Amen. And if he's a God who hears our prayers, he honors them, and he's heard your prayer. You are a child of God. Let's all just stand and let's, let's just close in prayer here. Um, we have one more song after this? Yeah. or Okay. I just want to send us out. Oh, and before I forget, because I always do this. <laughs> Make sure before we leave, you pass those baskets from the left to the right. So why don't we do that right now? Let's just do that. I get all caught up at the end of the message, and I forget uh, to do some housekeeping here because we appreciate your, uh, your uh, financial gifts. They help keep this going. All right. Let's just close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for everyone that's here today. And I just thank you for this church. And I just pray your mighty blessing over Connect Church here in Great Falls. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to reach out to the kingdom that's outside these, this, this room right now, Lord, that needs you so much. I just pray that you would bless us to be a blessing. Again, I hold up Bob and Jean to you and pray for safe travels for them as they come back, God. And I just pray that you would use us in a mighty way this day. Help us to know that there is good news, and it's the, at the end of the story, at the end of the cosmos, it's going to be you, Jesus. But thank you that you came and you bled and you hung on a cross that we might live and live eternally with you and help us to not just to live for you but to live for others. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus. The church said, amen. amen.